Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Dr. Heidi Hanna. And Heidi is the Chief Energy Officer of Synergy, a company providing brain-based health and performance programs to individuals and organizations, the executive director of the American Institute of Stress, and a founding partner of the Academy for Brain Health and Performance. She's a New York Times bestselling author of several books, including The Sharp Solution, Stressaholic, and Recharge. Heidi has been featured at many global conferences, including the Fortune Magazine, Most Powerful Women in Business Summit, ESPN Leadership Summit, and the Million Dollar Roundtable. Her clients have included Google, Starbucks, Microsoft, Morgan Stanley, and WD-40, as well as the PGA Tour and the National Football League. Heidi is also a certified humor professional with the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor, although she won't admit she's funny. I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend Heidi. If you feel like you're overly sensitive, too emotional, too stressed, she's going to share how you may be actually wired a bit differently. But don't worry, it's all good. We're part of the same club. You're going to love this interview on stress and so much more. Here's Heidi. I am so excited because today we have my friend, Dr. Heidi Hanna, and we're going to be talking about stress. And I know usually we think stress is just all bad, but she's actually going to show us how to uh, take our stress and do something good with it. We'll get there. We may not start there, but we're going to get there. So welcome, Heidi. Hey, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me on. I love this topic and I'm so excited to, to talk with you and hopefully share some helpful insights with people. I'm so glad. So let's start. What got you into just studying stress and talking about it? It makes me laugh because uh, I got into stress because I was really stressed. You know, I think so many of us come to this type of journey trying to figure our own stuff out. And then we quickly realize that so many other people are struggling with similar things. And so really for me, I... I was, I guess I was diagnosed, although it's misdiagnosed so many times, but I, I started struggling with an anxiety disorder when I was about 11 or 12. And it showed up initially as stomach aches and headaches and kind of was manifesting in my body that way. And then, um, you know, we went through all these different ways to kind of try to figure out what was going on. Long story short, I started fainting. And so I went to a lot of different doctors to try to figure out what was going on. And they, you know, just had all sorts of questions about it. It might be this, it might be that, this medication, that diet, and nothing really seemed to work. And so I think in trying to understand how my own brain and body was kind of working against me and hijacking me, um, I just started diving into all sorts of research from psychology to exercise physiology and nutrition and and now integrative neuroscience, really looking at the cross-section where all of those things connect. So I think it, you know, really started trying to figure out how to survive my own life and in many ways kind of feeling betrayed by my own brain and my own body and wanting to understand what could possibly cause something like that. And I think understanding what stress actually is uh, was an important way for me to start to learn how we can actually use that energy and information when we're feeling stressed to fuel some sort of positive change, that we're not out of control, but we can actually learn from it. We can have a curiosity mindset and kind of explore it. And then really kind of, as crazy as this may sound, kind of listen to it and become friends with those experiences in our life that are really just trying to help us. 
Mm. And you know, something like stress, it's, it's the, the thought of becoming friends with it, you know, that doesn't, <laughs> I, I'm not sure about that. But tell, talk to us, just tell us what, I mean, what is stress? We know it's, well, yeah. we don't know. You tell us. Yeah. So very simply put, stress is what happens when demand exceeds capacity. So I think stress has become kind of a catch-all phrase for anything that's bad in our life or any time we feel out of control. For a lot of people, it's busyness, it's chaos. It can mean so many different things and it can show up in so many different ways. So to me, it's really important that we get back to the very basic definition so that when that's happening, when there's more demand on my capacity in any area, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, social, in any of those kind of energetic uh, capacities that we have, if the demand is higher than what I currently have in this moment, stress happens. And ultimately what that means is that there's a kind of chemical, um, biological cascade of hormones happening um, and all of these different, you know, related components. It's like this dance, right, that happens in our brain and body to try to help us adjust. And so stress hormones are produced and our heart rate goes up and we start feeling that kind of fight or flight reaction that I think most people are familiar with when we first experience stress and it's acute, meaning it's short term. But what's so fascinating about that is if we don't adjust in some way to either reduce the demand or increase our capacity in the moment, that stress situation turns chronic or long-term in nature and the whole dance changes. So what started off being helpful, you know, we have a short-term stressor, our immune function goes up, our memory, our attention goes up. We actually have this heightened experience to try to adapt and cope. But when we don't, then it's like the whole thing changes and immune goes down, brain function goes down, you know, our our ability to be resilient and problem solve all starts to go down because it's become this longer term situation. So my goal with myself and with everyone I work with is ultimately if we can define it as the gap between demand and capacity and we can look into what's happening in each moment, then we take these, these three simple steps. We assess, we appreciate, we adjust. So we assess by asking what's really happening. We appreciate by taking the time to acknowledge that this stress is actually trying to help us. I say stressing is a blessing once we know how to use it for good, which I know sounds like a stretch when you're really overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. But know that the stress experience, what's happening in your brain and body is trying to help you. And the more you can understand kind of the why behind that and then make the small adjustments, you start to take control, even in something super small, like maybe having a sense of humor about it or finding something light about it or finding something to be grateful about. You take just a little bit of control and you start to shift that from being chronic to acute. And now it becomes energy that can actually help you instead of hurt you. Mm. And so the the first one, that was awareness, right? How would somebody become mm. aware of, of their level of stress? Is it just how they feel? I mean, are there certain signs to look, you know, things to look for? Yeah, there's a couple of different things with that. I think um, one is, you know, the awareness of just mindfulness in general, of just kind of slowing down enough to pay attention to your experience in each moment, which always sounds really nice kind of theoretically. It's like, okay, but how do we do that? Um, I have a simple assessment. It's called a stress 360, which really just looks at the patterns in your life and what you're doing that may be 
causing you to have less capacity than you should. Things like how you're eating, how you're moving, how you're sleeping. Um, social connections is also really important. A sense of meaning and purpose is also important. So there's all these different factors that contribute to your capacity. And you can do a really simple assessment. In fact, anyone can do this right now. Just ask yourself physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, socially, how am I doing on a scale of zero to 10? How energized do I feel in each of those buckets? And if there's an area that it feels like you don't have the capacity that you wish you had, that's going to be causing some stress. And you can start to make some simple adjustments to that. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that each person reacts different. So in the stress mastery program that I teach, we really try to walk people through understanding their own unique relationship with stress, which means the signs and the symptoms that you experience, which are very different than mine. So mm -hmm. for me, I tend to get a attention headache and it's right to the right of my center, third eye, prefrontal cortex, whatever you want to call it. And it's just funny. I know exactly where it is. And to me, that's become a sign, like someone tapping me on the shoulder saying, yep, you're doing too much or nope, you're not taking care of yourself. The sooner we notice the sign, we can stop it from becoming a symptom. Symptoms tend to be things like weight gain or weight loss, um, really difficult, you know, sleep for a long period of time. Um, and so it's just kind of learning, you know, what are the the indications with my relationship with stress that tell me quickly that it's time to make a change. And I think most people are pretty aware of what that is if they slow down long enough to kind of give it some thought. And, you know, that's so great. Also, I, I know, and we had even spoken about this, how people are so different and different types of people may respond differently. W would it be mm -hmm. a different threshold, let's say, if you're an empath or if you're highly sensitive or just based on a different kind of personality type? Totally. So, and that just gave me goosebumps. I think I said this to you before. Anytime I get goosebumps, I'm like, ooh, I'm supposed to be talking about this right now. I love that. Um so absolutely, and I am deeply passionate about helping people understand their this unique relationship idea actually has three key factors. So when I talk about a stress 360, there's the stress load, that's L-O-A-D. So the stress load is really your demand versus capacity. And we look at those key factors like how you're eating, moving, sleeping, socially connecting, and your connection to meaning and purpose. So those are kind of the five key areas we look at. Um, then we look at your stress lens, L-E-N-S, the lens through which you see the world. And this is deeply impacted by three things, your genetic predisposition, your early life experiences, and your ongoing lifestyle choices. And that will shape the brain dramatically different. So if you're an empath, if you're highly sensitive, these things will, will show up in that stress lens for people. And so that's built into the, the full assessment processes to really people help people understand what that means. And I know shared with you, I am highly, highly sensitive myself. And so a lot of the research I'm doing and the writing I'm doing now is actually helping highly sensitive people learn how to master stress because it's the same process, but we have to set a little bit stronger, clearer boundaries. We have to oscillate even more um, than, than the average bear. It's just kind of like the demands tend to be a little greater and the capacity tends to be a little less if we're not really focusing on that and setting intentions for that. 
Um, and so then just the last piece of that is the stress signature. So you've got stress load, stress length, stress signature. Stress signature is how it shows up for you. So that's your signs and symptoms. And uh, that's, you know, again, what we kind of walk people through, really discovering for them what that relationship is like because there is no one-size-fits-all solution to stress management or stress mastery. Mm. You've got to get clear about how this is showing up for you. And the sooner you do that, the quicker you can make the adjustments and the better energy you really bring to all the people around you. Right. And you know what, Heidi, could you explain what an empath is in a highly sensitive person? Because maybe there's some, maybe just we don't know. Yeah, yeah, sure. So my knowledge on empath um, is less than the highly sensitive person. So I'll start with that and then I'll tell you how I interpret um, the empath situation. So about 15 to 20% of the population actually has a genetic um, trait that makes them highly sensitive to stimulation in their environment. Um, I would recommend for anybody who's unfamiliar but is thinking this sounds like me, that you check out the work of Dr. Elaine Aaron. Um, you can go to hsperson.com for that. And I'm actually working on a book on the topic as well with regards to stress mastery. There's simple questions you can ask yourself. And there's kind of three primary ones I tend to go to um, to determine if someone's highly sensitive. The first one is if people tend to feel like they are more emotional than other people. So the maybe higher highs, lower lows, you're emotionally moved by the arts, by beautiful things, and you feel emotionally more down when you watch things that maybe aren't as pretty. And there's certainly a lot happening in the world right now for us to, to pick up that's challenging and frustrating. Highly sensitive people are just moved more emotionally. And what's really interesting is that the research has shown that these people, when they're in a brain scan, will actually process information more deeply into the brain stem and into the body. So it's not just this theoretical, you're just sensitive. It's your brain and your body and your nervous system are wired in a way that is different, that picks up these signals of stimulation and stress more than the other 80 to 85% of the population. So, and, and before you get to the empath then, so does that mm -hmm. mean that the highly sensitive person would respond or react to, to stress much more deeply, let's say, than somebody who isn't? Yes, and there's a lot of different reasons for that. I think part of it is just the overstimulation. So that's one of the biggest things. Um, Dr. Aaron talks about DOES, and they all stand for different things. The first is depth of processing. The second is overstimulation. And that's something I know I really struggle with, with just technology and the fact that we're all so connected nowadays, which is a wonderful thing. But the highly sensitive person is going to feel overstimulated by having too many things to do at one time, for example. Um, and so because of that, it just kind of exaggerates that gap between demand and capacity more for the highly sensitive person. On the flip side, I think it's important to know that people who are highly sensitive are also sensitive to the positive. So we tend to do better with things like time and nature, uh, aromatherapy. I've got my oils right next to me in my hands because 
my nervous system responds more to an extreme, it means that the positive things will also nudge me in a more positive direction and have a greater impact than it might on other people. So it's just really thinking about that, that, that sensitivity, it's a real thing. There's a genetic trait involved that changes the neurotransmitters in the brain, changes the way that the brain processes information. So you're not crazy. You're not <laughs> overdramatic. You know, unfortunately, a lot of us are told we're too emotional. We try to bottle that up. And that embodied stress that we're trying to pretend like isn't there really can turn against us and cause a lot of uh, a lot of health complications as well. Right. And I love how you just said we're not crazy because, you know, I, <laughs> I saw you. I was out in San Diego and, and we got together and I was telling you about an event and I loved it. I loved everything about this event, but it got to a point that it was just so much, so much energy, or I don't even know what it was, and I, and I needed to leave. And so what you're saying is it was just too much, that was an example of just too much energy or just too much going on for what my system can tolerate? That's what it is. And there's a yeah. real freedom once you understand, I think, the strengths and the vulnerabilities of being highly sensitive. The strengths are that you connect deeply with people. You are emotional. You're compassionate. Um, you draw a lot of people to you because people non-consciously are drawn to the safety and the calm presence of a highly sensitive person, which to us sounds really strange because underneath the surface our little duck legs are you know kicking like crazy trying to keep us above water but there's a there's a calm connected presence around a lot of sensitive people um that that we want to connect and we want to connect deeply by the way really interesting to note that highly sensitive people get bored faster in relationships because we want to talk about like real deep stuff like i could do a podcast all day, every day with you, because I just want to keep talking about this. I really don't want to talk about gossip or the weather, or like, you know, a lot of other stuff. Mm. Um, so it's helpful to know that because it doesn't mean that you're bad or you're wrong or you're broken. It means on one hand, this sensitivity is a real blessing. On the other hand, you can't be constantly stimulated and you're going to pick up the energy of the room. And this is where I differentiate a highly sensitive versus an empath. In my limited understanding is that a lot of people who are true empaths, they will experience what someone else is experiencing as if it were their own. So if I'm having a horrible day and I'm around you, you literally feel like you had the horrible day. You had whatever it was that happened to me, you feel like you had it. So you mm. absorb it to that depth, which is really strong. Highly sensitive people um, will pick up that energy, but they don't um, confuse kind of what's yours and what's mine. Now, I may feel uncomfortable and I may feel like uh, I don't want to be in this conversation very long because I'm just picking up something that's not mine. But there's a little bit more of a differentiation between... Mm -hmm. I'm stimulated because it's my own stuff and now I'm I'm truly absorbing your experience. Now what can you be both? Absolutely. Yeah, I think my my guess would be um that empaths the vast majority are highly sensitive if not all mm. of them. I think it's almost like you have to have a level of sensitivity to be able to pick up such strong emotions. Um, but the, the research is limited. So there's a lot of brilliant research around the highly sensitive person. It's now being called vantage plasticity, which is ultimately just that we're more plastic. Our nervous system is more adaptable than those who are not highly sensitive. Whereas the empath 
um, for a lot of researchers, it just hasn't been clearly enough defined. And there, there hasn't been a way to like show in brain scans, for example, exactly what's going on in someone who's having that empathic type of experience. You know what? I even love that name change because even when you say highly sensitive person, it almost sounds mm-hmm. like there's something wrong with you. And there's something totally. so nice about that, that, you know, our brains are just doing something extra. <laughs> I just, that yeah, just sounds and, and so, so much better. And so I've actually started to shift it. So in my own language, I call it stress sensitivity. And really to me, stress sensitivity is a highly sensitive person. So they're taking on that stimulation and that stress more greatly. And there's another component um, that really will impact this, and that is negativity bias. I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole because we'll be here for another hour. But just to understand that everybody has negativity bias in their brain. We have five times more fear-based circuits than reward-based circuits. So it's just how we're all wired. But some people are more on the negativity bias side of things, which is really just a threat sensitivity. It doesn't mean you're a negative person at all. It just means you're more reactive to potential threats in your environment. So if you combine those two factors, if you have a highly sensitive person who's more reactive to threats in their environment, you have what I I lovingly call a hot stress mess because I've been (laughs) there and I spend a lot of time there. Um, And so what's important to know is you're not going to train away your sensitivities. Your sensitivity is a gift but you can train your negativity bias to be more positive. And that's where the practical things like gratitude and time in nature, time with animals, music and um, aromatherapy, things like that will actually start to change the lens through which you see your stress experiences. That's also where humor comes in. It's not about laughing at things, but it's about being able to see the lighter side of life in general. And for me personally, humor and and really training my humor mindset has been a total game changer in improving my relationship with stress. And I really, I want to get, I want to get to that, but I have to tell you how, just how comforting it is to hear this because like I, you know, I live in New York and and I'll go into New York Mm. city and I need like three days to get over it. Greatest city in the world. But then I can just go out to San Diego, let's just say, and feel better. I mean, I just, and I never really understood it, but I see it. And, and is it, is it the kind, well, let me ask you this too. Is it the kind Mm -hmm. of thing that you can become more highly sensitive or you just become more aware that you're highly sensitive? Um, Yeah. I I think you become, I actually, I would say becoming aware is actually a good thing. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, this is why all of these patterns in my life have, have shown up. I'll, I'll share another one that's really interesting. And there's actually research behind this. Highly sensitive women tend to be in relationships with narcissistic men. And that's Mm -hmm. a pattern that happens time and time again. So kind of helpful once you go, hmm, that's interesting that these patterns over my life all aligned, that awareness may make you now start to notice like when you're in a group and you're feeling overstimulated, like, am I more sensitive now because this used to not bother me? I think just the awareness of it um, is helpful because what it can do is it can help you to make the adjustments to set more healthy boundaries around it. I think when we feel more sensitive, it's more a matter of our capacity being diminished. And I just think that highly sensitive people, we also tend to be very conscientious. We also um, tend to want to put everybody else first. And so if we're not careful, we get busy. We get too busy. We get what I call rushing syndrome, where we're just rushing, rushing, rushing. And our nervous system is now literally just rushing, rushing, rushing. And we don't even take time to breathe. Mm -hmm. And so as that happens, 
we have less capacity, we're more overstimulated and we start to, to kind of see that even more. So I think one of the, the first things to do if you're highly sensitive is first give yourself a big hug um, and one from me because it's, it's a beautiful community and tribe to kind of be a part of and start thinking about what you need to do to protect your own energy, invest in your own energy, because if you're going into an experience, a high energy experience, you're going to want to have some sort of ritual or technique or habit that you do before you go to just kind of get yourself prepared. And then even after, like you said, you know, maybe it doesn't take three days to come down from the New York madness. Maybe it Mm. takes, you know, 30 minutes. But for me, I learned that the hard way. I was, um, speaking and traveling around the world and my two biggest fears are speaking and flying. So I really stretched myself too thin. And about three days after I would come home, I would have just the darkest, darkest depression. And so what I started to realize is anytime I have a big experience, three days after, I need a total day off in nature with a massage and lots of aromatherapy. So Mm -hmm. each of us have to kind of learn from our patterns how do we prepare ourselves to go into that? And then how do we recharge our battery um, and recognize that it's what I would say is it's not an option. I think people tend to think taking care of yourself is selfish. And I personally think that taking care of your energy is the greatest thing that you can do for the people around you because it is so contagious that when we're calm and confident and, you know, even in the midst of stress and we can show up with a, that energy, it impacts everybody around us in a positive way. Mm, that's so great. Now, what about before we go? So let's say before you went mm-hmm. on this big trip, is there something that you did or or just something if we're going to Times Square in New York City or a big <laughs> event or something, what can we do? It happens. I, still, I mean, I'm telling you what, I get a client that asks me to come speak in New York and my heart starts palpitating. So <laughs> I get that. And yet I still go, right? So I look at it and say, it's worth it because here's all the reasons I want to be there. So I'm going to focus on the positive aspects of it and then build my capacity. So for everyone, it's going to be a little bit different. These are the ongoing proactive things you do to build your capacity over time. For me, my three every day are movement, meditation, and mirth. Mirth is another word for humor. So every day I have a practice and I I take about 90 minutes um, on a regular basis to do that physical exercise, to do the meditation, to find something funny and share it with a community of people who also like to find things funny. And so do that over time. And then as the event is coming up, if it's a big travel event or something like that, I would also build in massage and, you know, really think of yourself as like going into training as an athlete. You know, how do you show up? What's the energy you want to bring to the time that you have? And what is it that you specifically need to prepare? Uh, I think the biggest thing, honestly, Debbie, is just like carving out the space and the time and prioritizing our own energy, really taking responsibility for the energy we bring to the time that we have means slowing down enough to build in those proactive self-care strategies. And I'm totally listening to myself as I'm saying this out loud and going, yep, yep, you got to do that. <laughs> right. And I, I totally am too. And I guess that's it. It's it's really preparing. I love how you said it's just preparing almost like just any sort of athletic event. You prepare, you train for it. And on some level, you have to you have to prepare that this will exhaust you in some way. It'll be wonderful, but it'll exhaust you in some way. So go in, go into it prepared and then come out of it knowing you'll need to replenish and, and refuel. 
That's terrific. The so human tell- system is designed to oscillate. Everything has an up and down, and too often we flatline. And it's serious, like to go and go and go and go and go and never recover, never prepare. Uh, I used to teach a program called The Corporate Athlete, and the whole concept was just that, that in the business world, we are constantly performing. We're constantly competing. We're never really training, and we're never getting the recovery. An athlete trains 80 to 90% of the time for 10 to 20% of the time competing. And most of us never train our energy to be able to show up in the moments that matter. We just expect it to be there. And the cool thing about energy is it is replenishable. So we know that time is a finite resource and we're all worried about like not having enough time to get it all done. And unfortunately, when we think that way, it starts to destroy our energy management because it stresses us out. Instead of thinking about, I wish I had more time, If we could reframe that and say, what do I need to do to bring the best energy I have to the time that I have? Mm -hmm. That's the the replenishable element that helps us to decrease the stress experience because now we have more capacity. Mm. So where does humor play into all this? Mm, I love humor. Humor is so fascinating. And I'm not just saying like it's fun. You know, it's fun to laugh. I, I was going through one of my dark depression times. And um, I just remember thinking, I haven't laughed in a long time. So I started actually looking at research about laughter and humor. And there is so much behind this. And I'll just share a couple of examples. Um, When you find something funny, and this is the emotional experience of humor, so you don't even have to laugh. I'm actually laughter impaired. I don't laugh at much, but like I giggle on the inside. And that's cool because when you find something emotionally funny, when you're amused by something, it changes the brainwave state to a gamma state that typically is only seen in long-term meditators. So you get this hit of a, a change in brain chemistry and brainwave function that allows the brain to actually calm down and settle down, even if it's not related to the stressor. So let's say, I use this a lot with kids. Let's say a child is being bullied and you want to know how to help them. It could be that the bullying experience is somewhat out of control, that you can't change that. But if you train children to notice things in life that are funny, just like noticing things that you appreciate, it calms the brain down to be able to problem solve more effectively. So it kind of goes back to that demand capacity thing. Mm -hmm. When you spend time training your, what I call mirth muscle with your ability to find things funny and really kind of soak in that for a minute, you improve immune function, you reduce cortisol and inflammation. It's just, it really is. I mean, I'm sure you've heard laughter is the best medicine. Like when you look at all of the things that it does, especially if you can do it with someone else, if you can have a shared humor experience and they don't have to be next to you. One of the things I do every day is I share just something I find funny with my humor buddy and just that kind of reaching out and connecting and having a shared experience can magnify the benefits of that. So mm. I actually have a little nonprofit I put together called Beyond Funny. I'm working on a book on it as well. People can go to beyondfunny.org, but that will give you some more kind of resources and research about humor and how it helps the brain. And, and it is totally healing. I'm thinking of, mm. there was that famous book and I forgot who it was who completely healed from some horrible disease because he was watching. Yeah, Norman, it's that's it. Norman Cousins mm-hmm. and the book is Anatomy of an Illness. Thank you. That would have been driving me crazy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so what, what do we want to, I mean, is there anything else you want to make sure everybody hears before we wrap up? 
Yeah, you know, I think we, we touched on a lot. And so I, I always feel like, okay, I don't want to stress everyone out trying to figure all of this out. So I think that the most important thing to me is just that everyone understand that stress is a relationship. And ultimately, it comes down to demand versus capacity. A lot of times we can't control the demands on our life. We might be able to move a couple of things off of our plate. But, you know, realistically, life is challenging and, and there's a lot going on. And so it is so important that we focus on our capacity and how do we build our capacity to cope with the challenges of life. And I would say, because I anticipate a lot of people on this uh, on this call and listening to the podcast are potentially sensitive. A lot of them are probably women. Um, we have a tendency to put ourselves to the bottom of the priority list because we justify that we're taking care of everybody else, but we just can't do that effectively. So I do want to just encourage everybody, you already know what you could be doing, maybe a little bit different to build your own capacity that you prioritize that and have an accountability partner where you say, I'm going to work on this kind of recharge strategy. I'd love for you to work on this with me. Let's just spend 30 days really committing to just one thing at a time that's meant just to recharge your own energy. And uh, certainly I'm happy to share with anyone who's listening. Um, we'll, we'll send the link over so you can share it, Debbie. But I've got a book called Recharge that mm -hmm. actually walks people through this little mini assessment that they can do. And I'd be happy to share that with your listeners if they want a copy of the book and that uh, recharge exercise as well. Absolutely. And tell us where we can find you. Yeah, so you can find me. Oh my goodness. You can find me all over the place. <laughs> uh, you can find me the easiest place is HeidiHanna.com. Um, I'm also the executive director for the American Institute of Stress, and that website is stress.org. Um, and so depending on what type of information you're looking for, uh, we've got a lot of stuff out there. And um, I'll just share as well that, that I am working on additional resources on stress mastery for the highly sensitive person. For, so for those of you who that resonated with, please feel free to reach out to me and we'll make sure to get you connected. We're going to be doing a webinar on that really soon and, and launching a new course for sensitive people. Oh, that's so great. Heidi, you dropped some amazing nuggets on us. And what I love also mm -hmm. is it, there are so many people listening who now they're like, oh, I'm not crazy. I thought it was me. No, you're mm -hmm. not crazy. There's we're, we're part of an amazing tribe. <laughs> so I just yeah, want to thank right. you so much for just all you shared, for your wisdom, for your insight. You just, you really gave us such a gift today. Thank you. Thank you. Didn't you just love that? Such confirmation on why you may be feeling the way you do. It was great learning about highly sensitive people or stress sensitive, as Heidi called it, the empath and how we handle stress by looking at the stress load, the stress lens and the stress signature. Stay in touch with Heidi by going to HeidiHanna.com and stress.org. And we'll have her links in the show notes over at pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. While it may be hard to eliminate all the stress from your life, you can certainly work towards managing it a little better, whether that means preparing before what could potentially be a stressful event and definitely replenishing yourself afterwards. It's not selfish to take that time. It's self-preservation. And here's a gift from me. Head over to pbtinstitute.com and receive my gift, How Your Biggest Crisis Reveals Your Greatest Gift. And let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough. <laughs>